It's an exciting day at One Family Church. Uh, for those of you who do not know yet, we are officially, as of this moment, launching One Family Church Shaw Campus. Can you hear it? Give it up for Shaw right now, you guys. What's up, Shaw? So we are live streaming down to our Shaw campus today, but I want to say thank you also to all of you who are here at U-City campus today. I was afraid everybody was going to vacate the premises, and I'd be up here by myself. There's folks out here, Shaw. They're here in U-City. Uh, man, it is so good to be here. It's so good to see all of you. I want to take a moment before we dive into, we're going to launch a new series today. But before we do, I want to take a moment, and I want to thank some people, because, I mean, you have, maybe you do, maybe you don't. The immensity of what has happened over the last few months, the way God has intervened and allowed us to grow as a church and launch another campus in another part of town, and the amount of work and blood, sweat, and tears of us, so many people that went into this project, I cannot not thank them. All right. You're going to just hang with me and let me thank some folks today. Um, first of all, I want to thank everybody who prayed on your knees for the people in the Shaw community uh, and for the church launching down there. You, there are so many people without your prayers. That's the engine that runs everything. All right. All of those who you were, pr who were praying, all of those of, of you who were giving, uh, let me just tell you something, just so you know, we did not launch a capital campaign to buy and renovate another building. Amen, somebody? Amen. Amen. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about that. You should be too, if, in case you've never been part of a capital campaign. If you have, then you were probably clapping louder than your neighbor this morning. Okay. Um, uh, I want to thank uh, all of those who served. There were so many people just down there serving and helping and just getting involved. I want to thank our staff. Our One Family Church staff, they are amazing. They are amazing. They've just given so much while trying to hold down their normal duties. They're also going down there and doing stuff that, like, they didn't sign up for. You know, they didn't sign up to, like, use a grinder when they became a staff member at One Family. They didn't, but, but they just cranked. So I want to recognize and honor them. I tried to do a selfie with them so we could celebrate. And so this is our staff. And, um, yep. And this is why they don't let me on the social media team. Emily said, no, you're not allowed on the team. But can you just give it up for your staff here at One Family Church? Okay, you can take that picture down before we freak everybody out. Um, I, want, I want to thank the, the contractors and the subcontractors that helped us get going. Uh, normally, you know, in a construction project, there's, you know, there's the contractors and then it's just like it's over. But right now, I happen to know that down in the Shaw campus right now, Many of the subcontractors that have been working on the building are in attendance at the church right now. You are all invited to join One Family Church. I want to thank Tom, Ruben, Cortez, Nathan. I want to thank Design Alliance, Mark Herman, Paintsmiths, Innovative Roofing, and all of the other, um, other subcontractors that worked on this property because, man, they just did an incredible job. You guys did an awesome job. I also want to thank... Some people who, from our church, members of our church, who just volunteered and just came and just like served, all right? And, and a lot of people did, so I can't actually list everybody's names because there were like 100 people or more that came down and served and helped out. But I want to list a few that, it, because every time I went down there, they were there. Um, and so they are, Deborah Kent was down there just day after day. Lions, Lemon, love you, dude. You were down there. He was just grinding. Uh, Matt Schmidt was down there day after day. Ron DeRoe came in strategically helping us at different points in the process. 
Dave Bick designed the whole audio system down there, made it so beautiful, uh, and is right here today, still hanging here right, right, right with us. Um, Stan Smith went down there and helped us with the painting, finished up some of the painting. Um, this guy, you, some of you may know him, Mike Klein. Mike Klein, every time I was down there, he was there. He was there every day. He's a retired eye doctor, and he just decided, you know what, I need a second career as a you know, subcontractor. So he was down there almost every single day. I want to thank my wife, Rebecca Rome. She's amazing. She, every little piece of furniture, every little artwork, every little piece of paint, she was involved in that, and she just worked hard down there. I want to thank uh, Tyler Nyans. You guys, Tyler Nyan's a member of our staff, but he was the project manager for this project. He did an incredible job. You have no idea how hard that guy's worked. Awesome job. Christy Housley was down there helping with the plants and getting all of that going. But I want to reserve the final and biggest thank you to a guy named Art Bollinger. Art Bollinger, for those of you who don't know him, Art, I know you're at Shaw right now. Will you please stand up at Shaw and just let people recognize you? And here's why I want you to stand. Because I want anybody who sees Art down at Shaw or in U City to walk up to him and to give him the biggest, strongest bear hug that you can possibly give. Because this is a guy who is a retired business owner. And, and by retired, what I mean is he was at the Shaw campus for the last nine months, all day, every day, making sure that as a general contractor, we got this thing across the finish line. And he did not receive a single dime of payment. He just was down there out of the goodness of his own heart. And he made this thing happen. And you are epic. And you're a man of God. And I love you, dude. And we all love you. In New City, if you don't know Art, Art's a good-looking guy. He's maybe, I don't know how old you are, Art, young, in your, in your late youth. You're in your late youth. And uh, he's about six feet tall, wears a ball cap, kind of kinda, uh, clean, if he takes the ball cap off, you know what I mean? Kind of light on top. Um, and uh, got a big smile, white guy, if you see him or anybody that looks like him, just give him a bear hug, all right? And if it's him, he'll know what you're doing. If, if it's not, then at least they'll feel welcome at our church. So, amen. Um, and before uh, we get into the sermon, I want to do one more special thing. Um, this church launched eight years ago, a little over eight years ago. And uh, when we launched, we had some overseers that have been a part of praying for and being a part of and supporting and, and being a part of this church from its inception. And one of our overseers is here today, and I'm going to have him come in just a minute and just greet you, uh, because this is a man who has done a tremendous uh, amount of, uh, given a tremendous amount of help to me personally, and has been invested in this church from day one uh, in a number of ways. Some of you may know him from the band Phillips, Craig, and Dean. It's a worship uh, band, a, Christ a contemporary Christian band. Uh, he's a member of that band. They've won all kinds of Dove Awards and all kinds of other awards throughout the years. Uh, he's a pastor of a church down in Heartland, Texas. I've known him all my life. He's a man of God. I honor him. I thank God for him. Would you please put your hands together and welcome Dan Dean to come and recognize us and give us his blessing. Uh, thank you, Brent. Hello, everybody. What an exciting day for you and for me as well. And uh, to all of you down at the Shaw campus, I was there yesterday. What an incredible thing God is doing through you. And I'm so very excited for that. And yes, I have, uh, I've known Brent since he was, I believe, eight or nine years old. 
and I want to say something uh, that uh, I want Brent to hear today, and that is this, that outside of my father-in-law and my father in my life, Brent's dad, Jim Rome, the late Jim Rome, had the greatest influence in my life of any other person, and that's saying a lot. I've, I've had exposure to a lot of people, but Brent's dad was a wonderful prince of a man and poured into my life. And I will say that uh, even after I left, I worked for Brent's dad for only about two years. But after I left uh, Lancaster, Ohio, where his dad was the pastor, I can't tell you the number of times when I needed somebody to just talk to about being a pastor that I called Brent's dad up and would ask for advice. And Brent, I'm returning the favor to you today. Just to tell you, I am here for you. And I always will be as long as God gives me breath. I'm proud of you and Rebecca, and I'm excited to see what God is doing at this incredible church and glad to be a part. Thank you so much. And to Rebecca, oh my goodness, I got the tour yesterday and I can see her fingerprints everywhere because I know it's not Brent, all right? <laughs> And uh, to all of you, congratulations. It's an exciting day, and we're just here. I put it on the calendar some time ago when I saw that you were going to have uh, this uh, launch, and then I had to move the date, and then I had to move the date again. <laughs> but hey, it's happened, and we're here, and it's exciting, right? God bless each one of you. I hope to meet you today. Thank you so much. Amen. We're going to launch into a, a new series today. I want to start with uh, a question for you. And the question is this, H have you ever had an event or a circumstance occur in your life that was so intense, so dramatic, so important in some way or another, that it actually, you would characterize it as having turned your world upside down? Anybody ever have something in your life that just occurred where it's like, man, that just flipped the script on my life. Everything in my life just got turned upside down, either for positive or for negative. I've had some go in both directions, you know, where, where something happens in your life and you just like, it just upsets everything. It just turns everything upside down. One of the, the good ones that happened for me, one of the top ones that happened for me uh, many years ago was when I fell in love with Rebecca, with my now wife. Uh, it, it messed me up, man. I mean, it just, it flipped my world upside down. Any of you who have ever been in love, you know what I mean? It just completely scrambles your, you know, your world. It just messes you up. Um, some of you that are new, newlyweds, I, I see you smiling. Some of you that are oldlyweds, I'm, I'm going to try to give you a little fire for the furnace today. Okay. Amen. Amen. So, so, so when, when Rebecca and I got together, like things that I wouldn't normally do, I started doing, I started singing songs by foreigner and by journey. You know what I mean? I just like, I want to know what love is. You know, I just couldn't help myself. And, and um, I'm embarrassed even today and even especially now by the things that I, I did because it just turned my world upside down. You know, it just messes you up when something dramatic like that happens. When I had, um, when we had our first child, turn my world upside down because suddenly there's this other human being all up in my space and you know he's loud and he's stinky at times and he's demanding and you know and 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 you know you don't realize how selfish you are until you have to care for somebody else he messed up my world right i mean he he turned in a good way he turned my world upside down uh, some of you have had experiences where uh, a, a loved one 
uh, got a diagnosis that was, that was heavy, or maybe you got a diagnosis, and it, and it just, in one moment, your world just went upside down, or you lost a family member, or you lost a job, or you moved across the country, and it just seemed like everything got scrambled, everything got turned upside down in your life in that moment. For me, the very biggest one, the very biggest upside down event in my life Bigger than getting married, bigger than having a kid, big, bigger than becoming a pastor, bigger than anything, happened in March of 2005. I was in my apartment. I was uh, at a crossroads. I was at a crisis in my life. I had grown up in the church. I was a church kid. Um, as, as Pastor Dean mentioned, I was, a, uh, I was a church kid. My dad was a pastor. He was a great pastor. He was a great man of God. He was a great father. He was a faithful husband. He was an amazing man. Uh, and, and I had grown up in that environment. His father, uh, was also a man of God. He was a, a pastor. His name was Guy Rome. He planted a church in University City here in U City in 1948. Uh, and he was a, had an eighth grade education. He worked, he was a bus mechanic. He was a boxer for the three C's. I mean, he was just, he was one of these guys and God got a hold of his life and turned his world upside down. He became a follower of Jesus and then he became a pastor. My mother's father, similar story. He, he grew up out in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, his mother was a member of the Cherokee Nation. Uh, he was a cattle driver. He had an eighth grade education. And out on the plains when he was driving cattle, the Lord reached out, spoke into his heart, and, and drew him in to, uh, to the kingdom of God and, and said, I want you to follow me. And my, my grandfather became uh, a follower of Jesus and then ultimately also became a pastor. So I had grown up in this environment with all of these wonderful people, my uncles and aunts and, you know, grandmas and my mom. Every, I'd, grown up, I'd grown up in this environment where all these people were followers of Jesus and they had committed their heart to the Lord. But for me, I wanted to strike out on my own when I was 18. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go a separate way. I'm going to go a different route. I'm gonna, I'd actually like to be the king of my own life. I'm going to go a different direction. And for about a decade, I left the church. I left the ministry. I was, a, I was estranged from, from the, the community that I had grown up with. And for about a decade, that's, that's where I was living. I was living out in the wilderness, uh, a spiritual sort of desolate place. But in March of 2005, my father had just recently passed away. And so I was at a crossroads. I was at a crisis. And I did something that I hadn't done in over a decade. I bowed my head in my apartment and I said, God, if you're, if you're God, if you're real, I need you. I need you. I want you to be the king of my life. I want you to be the ruler of my heart. If you're not real, then I'm just talking to an empty room. No harm, no foul. But in that moment, God intervened in my life in a way that it's really hard to even explain unless it's happened to you. But God intervened in my life. Jesus became my king. He became my Lord. He became my savior. And I turned my heart, my life, everything over to him. And the beautiful thing is he just began to turn my world upside down. And the more beautiful thing is this. The things that he was turning upside down needed to be turned upside down. There was some stuff in my life that he just said, let me, let me take you a different direction. Let me take you a different direction with the way you think. Let me take you a different direction with some of the activities and actions that you're engaged in. I'm going to take you, a, I'm going to flip the script on your life. I'm going to turn you upside down. I have a question for you today. Every single one of you, I got a question for you. Is there anything in your life that needs to be turned upside down? Amen. Is there anything in your life that needs to be turned upside down? Are there any thought patterns that you have gotten into over the last year, 
two years, decade, where you don't see yourself as a child, God, you, 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 maybe you have a, a sense of uh, a self-loathing or you, you have a thought pattern that you know is not of God, but you're locked into it. And it literally needs to be turned upside down. Or maybe it's a pattern of behavior. Maybe there's a destructive pattern of behavior that you keep finding yourself locked into and you keep finding yourself enslaved to. And you don't want to keep walking down that path. And in fact, you do a thing that a lot of us do. You go, you know what? I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to act that way again. But you keep finding yourself locked into this pattern. And you need this pattern turned upside down, somebody. Anybody with me this morning? Maybe some of you are in a relationship pattern that needs to be turned upside down. It's, it, it's the same outcome. It's a different man, but it's the same outcome. It's a different woman, but it's the same outcome. And you're going, how am I locked into the same thing over again? And God wants to turn your life upside down down or maybe your finances or maybe whatever it is your career you're stuck in the status quo and you go god come i need something to come in and intervene in my life and give me a sense of mission and give me a sense of purpose and give me a vision for what you have for my life god the beautiful thing about god is when when he really intervenes in your life when you really allow him access to your entire life when you enter into his kingdom wholly and completely when he becomes your king he turns your world upside down. I was studying a couple weeks ago and I came across a passage in the book of Acts. It was Acts chapter 17. And it's just a, it's a beautiful picture of what happens in people's lives when Jesus enters into their life. And the description in the book of Acts is not from the perspective of the Christians. It's from the perspective of the people who are experiencing the Christians who are having their world turned upside down and then in turn are beginning to turn the world upside down in the community and in the city and in the schools where they are involved. They begin, they begin to become not only transformed, but they become agents of transformation. And in Acts chapter 17, there, there's a group of people in a city called Thessalonica, and they don't know what to do with these Christians because these Christians are coming in and, and everything is beginning to change. And so some of these people from Thessalonica, they grab the Christians and they, they drag some of them to the rulers of the city. And they started crying out to the rulers and they're saying, these who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if the, if the demarcation of followers of Jesus is that wherever they go, man, they just flip the world upside down. They take injustice and flip it into justice. They take oppression and turn it into freedom. They take pain and they turn it into destiny. They take fear and turn it into faith. Wouldn't that be amazing if that was what they say about us, right? So why is it that these Christians in the early in the early uh, era, how is it that they became agents of such a radical transformation that they were blowing everybody's minds and people were saying they're turning the world upside down? Here's how. Here's how it happened. It said, they are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. They are saying there is another king, Jesus. Caesar is ruler over all of the Roman Empire. And these Christians are going, yeah, you know, Caesar, that's good. He's Okay. But we actually have another king. And when we follow this other king, it changes everything about us. And when it changes everything about us, it changes everything about our family. And when it changes everything about our family, it changes everything about our school. And when it changes everything about our school, it changes everything about our workplace. And then it begins to change our community. And then it begins to change our city. And then it begins to change our world. And the world gets turned upside down because somebody says, Jesus, I want you to be my king. So I want to spend the next few weeks exploring this this upside down kingdom we're going to launch a series called upside down 
when Jesus becomes king. And I want us to explore together over the next few weeks, what does it look like when Jesus be, really becomes our king? When, when we owe our obeisance, our loyalty, our complete life, mind, soul, body, spirit to Jesus, and we go, you know what? It's all yours. One of my favorite stories when I was a kid, uh, uh, Bible stories, was the story that, that happened when Jesus went into the temple. Some of you guys know this story. And uh, Jesus saw that there was sort of this like kind of status quo religious practice going on in the temple. And, and, and involved in that, there was some oppression of the poor through some corrupt practices, financial practices and so forth. And this really ticked Jesus off because he saw the temple as his father's house. And his father's house, because it was his father's house, that meant it was his house. And he didn't like the idea that people were doing evil things in God's house. And so there's a lot of details about what he did on that day. But one of the details I love, and it says it in three of the four Gospels, it gives this detail. He like flipped the tables over of the money changers. He like literally came in and go, let me, let me show you symbolically, actually and really, what it means when Jesus becomes king. And he would go over and he would flip these tables over and scatter the money changers. And he said, don't turn my, my father's house into a den of thieves. Don't do that. There's something radically transformational that happens in our hearts and our souls and our minds when Jesus becomes our king and I want to explore with you today and over the next few weeks what will your life look like what will our life look like what will our city look like when Jesus really does become our king and 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 what happens is it starts on a personal level it starts on a personal level because one of the things that happens when Jesus becomes your king is that he flips condemnation into confidence he flips he flips your condemnation your shame your fear he flips it in to confidence. You know, anytime you enter an institution or you become a member of some kind of institution, there's a cost of entry. You know, there's some, you got to pay something to get something, right? So we went, for instance, a few years ago, my family and I went to Disneyland and it wasn't my choice. I'm just going to tell you, it was like I was forced into it by my children. We, we were forced. And the cost of entry to Disneyland is exorbitant. Anybody ever been to Disneyland? I feel you. I feel you. You don't have to give in the offering today if you've ever had to pay to get into Disneyland. You just save up and kind of dig yourself out of the hole. Amen, somebody. Um, we, we went to Disneyland. Fortunately, my mother-in-law had tickets to get into Disneyland because if she, you know, free tickets for us. Um, because if she hadn't, I was just going to take my kids to Chuck E. Cheese and tell them we were at Disneyland. I was going to be like, look, I know it looks like a bear, but it's a mouse with small ears. Now, roll the ski ball, get some pizza. Let's keep on moving through Disneyland, kids. So, so, you get to Disneyland, there's a cost of entry, and then you've got to try to extract as much value out of that place as you can, right? You know what I mean? It's the same when you enter into any kind of institution. You join a, a, a country club, or you become a member of a gym, or you become a member of a fraternity, or a sorority, or any kind of institution, there's a cost of entry. And so you got to pay something to get something. And you gotta, then you got to try to get the thing that you paid for. All you folks with the gym membership right now are trying to see if you can cancel online, right? You got to try to get something for what you pay. The cost of entry into the kingdom of God is just upside down. Because the cost of entry, what it costs to get in is you got to go, take my condemnation, take my shame, take my sin, take my guilt, take my fear, take, take all the stuff that I don't want. Let me give you all of the stuff that I don't want. And Jesus goes, if you'll give me all the stuff that you don't want. 
I'll give you confidence and I'll give you power and I'll give you love and I'll give you a sound mind and I'll put you on a path and I'll give you a destiny. Somebody should shout this morning because when you, when you come into the kingdom of God, he flips everything upside down. You give him the worst and he gives you the best. You give him your sin, he gives you his righteousness. You give him your pain, he gives you his grace. That's what it looks like when you enter into the kingdom of God. When you enter into the kingdom of God, your world gets turned upside down. And then it moves from just the personal, it moves to the communal. Because when Jesus becomes your king, strangers become your family. It, it, it begins to expand. When Jesus becomes your king, strangers, strangers become your family. You can go to that next slide. Strangers become your family. One of the, one of the funny things that Jesus does when he chooses his disciples, he does something really strange really counterintuitive, really upside down. Uh, when I'm reading the Bible, and I know a lot of you are reading the Bible daily. Amen, somebody? All right, okay. Uh, when you get to a list in the Bible, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to kind of skim over the list. You know what I mean? When it's like so-and-so beget so-and-so who beget so-and-so, and generationally, and generation. Those of you who are re real Bible readers, you, are, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're not a real Bible, just nod. If you're not a real Bible reader, just be like, yeah, I know what you mean. You know, those lists, right? Okay, we all good? All right. Um, you read the list and you go, okay, it should, you know, let's get back down to like the important stuff, right? But I was reading the scripture not too long ago, and I came across a list. It was a list of the names of the disciples, so, you know, I mean, that's not wor world shattering. That's just a list of their names. But something caught my attention when I was reading their names. Because in the list, Jesus is describing all of them by the names of their son or by the name of their father or by the name of their brother or by the name of the town from which they came, except for two of his disciples. Two of his disciples, he gives, he gives their title of their chosen vocation. So everybody else is like, you were born into this. Son of Alphaeus, brother of James, brother of John, you, you know, that kind of thing. But for two, he gives their name and then he gives their chosen vocation. And it's really interesting what he does because one of them is a guy named Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. This is not Simon Peter. This is a different Simon. Simon the Zealot was part of a political party called the Zealot Party, which is why he was called Simon the Zealot. And, and the Zealot Party had a manifesto, which is kick out the Romans from Jerusalem by any means necessary. If you see a Roman in an alley, a Roman soldier in an alley in the dead of night, you should, by any means necessary, get rid of that Roman soldier, right? That was their mantra, that they hated the Romans, despised. And Jesus said to Simon, the zealot, hey, I actually want you to be a part of my kingdom. I want you to join my, I want you to join my, my party. We're actually bigger than your party. We're, we're, we're a little bit bigger than your party. I want you to come and be a part of my thing. And then Jesus went all the way over here to a guy named Matthew, the tax collector. And Matthew, the tax collector, guess who he collected taxes for? Come on. Caesar, right? The Romans. He was collecting tax. So in other words, he had a job where he was working for the Romans. He was, in, he, he was partying with the Romans. He was embedded in Roman life. This was, these were his people. And he was extracting money from the Jews for the Romans. So you think Simon and Matthew were friends? Let me just tell you something. You know, it, whenever Matthew was around, he had to make sure that Simon's knife was firmly in its sheath. Okay? Because these two were not on the same side. 
And Jesus said to Matthew, hey, Matthew, I actually want you in my kingdom too, right? I want you and you in my kingdom. Why? Because Jesus was revolutionary when it came to social interaction. One of the things that he said that's so upside down and so counterintuitive and so impossible, unless you have the Holy Ghost and you have a hundred years to actually make it happen. One of the things that he says is this. He says, love your enemies. I, I don't know. Really? Is that, I gotta, yes. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, um, I was telling my wife about this. I was saying this week, I said, I'm going to love your enemies. I'm going to preach that. She said, well, I said, that's revolutionary. She said, well, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't really have any enemies. I don't really have anybody that I don't. And I'm like, huh, really? Because I think if we all drill down a little bit, we might be able to discover somebody that we don't really like. Is there, you don't have to admit it. Don't point to anybody. But there's somebody you don't like, right? Or am I just that bad? It ain't just me. Okay, okay. There's somebody you don't like. You have some enemies. Um, in case you can't think of any, I wanted to help you today. I just wanted to help you. I just wanted to help, you know, communicate. Maybe there's somebody that gets a little bit under your skin. And what I'm trying to do in this is to be equally offensive to everyone. So I'm just trying to jog your memory. Is there anybody that you don't like? I mean, is there just anybody that you don't, anybody you don't like? Somebody? Is there some, there's nobody? I think we, hopefully I've found somebody. The good thing is we can all agree the New England patriots are of the devil, and we just, they cannot enter into the kingdom of God. All right, take that slide down, or else there'll be a plenty of parking at Shaw and U City next week, all right? Jesus said, love your enemies. Doesn't mean you support them, doesn't mean you like them, doesn't mean you get behind them. It, but you do, there's something in your heart that's got to be transformed. You're going to enter into the kingdom of God. You got to find a way to see somebody else as an image bearer of God, no matter what, no matter what they stand for, who they are. Doesn't mean you love them. Doesn't mean you don't want to vote against them. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means somehow if you're going to enter into the kingdom of God, he's going to start turning your, your, your heart around towards somebody else. In fact, when we become children of God, when we become members of the kingdom of God, when we give our life to God, he actually turns us, followers of Jesus, into family. This is what the scripture says. Uh-oh, all the all this, all this lights went out. Everything went out. Are you good? Down, oh, here it is. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. When you become a follower of Jesus, things begin to change. Your life gets turned upside down. You are children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. And then this is what he says. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, nor is there any male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, somebody. We become one when we put our faith in Jesus. When we are baptized into Jesus, we're baptized into a bigger family. And this is where I think the church has opportunities to be transformational and where the church has also missed opportunities to be transformational on the planet. Because if everybody that is a follower of Jesus is your brother and sister, that means if somebody is experiencing pain, that's your pain. 
If somebody's experiencing injustice, that's your injustice. You, there's no distance between you and somebody else who is a follower. That's your brother. That's your sister. I had an opportunity this week to spend some time with a guy named Jamar Tisby. Jamar Tisby is a, is a Christian, and he's a historian, and he's a writer, and he's brilliant. And uh, I got to be with him this week. And one of the things that I got to do was I was his, I got to, I was his driver. So like I was his gopher. So I would, he came in and then I would pick him up and I would drive him somewhere and then I would drive him back. And the great thing about that is, um, you know, I had the, the lock on my side. So like if I needed to talk to him about something, I just pushed the lock and we would pull up to, uh, my wife and I were dropping him off at his hotel and we pull up and I still had a few more questions for him. So I just pushed the lock button. I'm like, so Jamar, you know, let's just talk a little bit more about, right? He couldn't get out. So it was amazing. But he wrote a book called The Color of Compromise. And in this book, and this is a follower of Jesus who's saying sometimes the church has missed opportunities to be transformational, not because of, of, of something overt, but because of apathy. Because we just haven't seen other people as our brother and sister. Or, or, or we haven't seen somebody as a family member who's really a family member. And one of the quotes from his book that I just love is this. He said, the failure of many Christians to decisively oppose the racism in their families and in their communities and even in their own churches provided fertile soil for the seeds of hatred to grow. He said the refusal to act in the midst of injustice is itself an act of injustice. Indifference to oppression perpetuates oppression. If we want to be a part of transformational kingdom work, we got to be able to turn the world upside down by the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is our king, that means he's king of all of us. That means he's king of our life and of our mind and our heart and our soul and our body. He's inviting you and me to be a part of that kingdom. How do we do that? When Jesus becomes our king, he transforms something deep inside of us. And what happens is our life becomes light. When Jesus becomes our king, your life becomes light. Your life is no longer just about you and about just the, the closedness of who you are. Your, light, your life becomes a radiant expression to other people. Your life becomes something that, that exposes the darkness. It's something that shines out beyond you. I'm going to give you an example. This is a light bulb. This light bulb, this is your life. It's fragile. It was, it, 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 it was given a lot of thought. There was a lot of thought and care in the design and the manufacture of this light bulb. But if this light bulb is not plugged into its source and it is not dialed into its purpose, it is not useful. It is just a piece of glass that I can hold right here. It doesn't do anything doesn't help anybody. It's just its thing. It doesn't extend beyond itself. Jesus said this. Look at this. One of the most beautiful scriptures. He said, you are the light of the world. You are. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, he said, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. Your life is a light. Look at he said. So, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Not so that they can see you, but so that they can see your good works and they can glorify your Father in heaven. Your life, my life, 
our life, when, we, when Jesus becomes our king and turns our world upside down, our life becomes a light. Our life becomes changed in dramatic ways. If we're not plugged into it, it's nothing. But when Jesus becomes our king, when we plug into the source of his power, when we allow the Holy Spirit to begin operating in our life, when we turn our heart, soul, mind, and body over to him, and we stop trying to work towards just our own good, he just turns on the light. Your life becomes a light. You start to spread the light of Christ everywhere you go. And when enough people do this, y'all, it lights up the room. It lights up a city. It lights up a school. It lights up a community. It lights up a workplace. It lights up a city like St. Louis. It lights up Shaw. It lights up U City. It lights up Ferguson. It lights up West County. It lights up North County. It lights everywhere up. When enough people say, God, we're just going to shine. We're just going to, we're going to make you our king. Turn us upside down. Make our life into a light. So the question that I have today is how do I really allow Jesus to become my king? You know, like how, how do I, how does Jesus become my king? How do I really just turn it all over to him? And you would expect it to be, you know, some kind of process, but even in this, it's sort of an upside down kind of scenario. I went into my office a couple weeks ago and I was, you know, straightening my desk and then getting ready to work. And I looked up and across the, you know, across my office, I have a whiteboard that I use for drawing stuff and that kind of thing and strategizing. And my nine-year-old son had gotten into my office and had done, started drawing on my whiteboard. And uh, it took me a minute, but I started looking at it and I went, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I think he just, I think he just answered the question because if Jesus is going to be your king, he, you got to go to his throne. You, you got to go to his throne and say, I'm going to bow my knee. But then you go, how do I go to his throne? Is it some sort of golden monument up in the sky? How, how do I go to his throne? And I looked across at the drawing that my nine-year-old son did on the whiteboard. And this is what he drew. He said, here's, I don't know if you can read it. It says, our king. He didn't draw a throne. He didn't, he didn't draw a golden image. He drew a mechanism of torture. He drew a mechanism of pain. He drew two cross beams that were built to extract as much pain and as much life from someone as possible. Because Jesus just does things upside down. And when he's going to become your king, he does it not on a throne, but on a cross. And if you want to experience him as the king of your life, Go to his throne and say, you know what? I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to give you my shame. I'm going to give you my pain. I'm going to give you my suffering. I'm going to give you my guilt. And I'm going to receive all your love and all your grace and all your mercy. And you're going to become the king of my life because you sacrificed it all for me. This is the upside down reality about what it means for Jesus to be your king. And today, I just want us to begin opening our hearts and allowing Jesus to become our king in every corner of our life. Because when we do, it turns us upside down. And some of you are here today, and you've been a Christian for a million years. 
and, and you just, you know, you got, you got it all down. You got the routine down. It's all in the flow. But today I want to say, hey, you know what? Take a moment. Let's take a moment. Is Jesus the king of your whole life? Like all your life, every piece, all of it, even the stuff that you want to keep for yourself? Is he the king? Because if you give it to him, he's going to turn it upside down. Are you ready for that? What if, what, if, what if as a church family, we just, all of us said, you know what? Jesus, be our king. Just take over our life. We give you everything we've got. We turn it over to you. We kneel at your throne. We receive your grace. We receive your power. We receive your mercy. I believe that when a church community does that, they will turn the world upside down. I believe God is calling you to that. I believe he's calling me to that. I believe he's calling us to that. And I'm excited to see how Jesus turns the world upside down when we allow him to be our king. I want to pray for you if you would bow your heads. And I want to pray for those of you who maybe this is your, maybe today is the first time in your life that you are, are opening your life and saying, Jesus, come in and be my king. Or maybe, maybe you've done that before but you've drifted out of his kingdom and you've allowed yourself to set up your own little throne in your own little heart. And today you're going, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to get back. I want to get back into the kingdom that matters. I want to get back into the kingdom that's forever. I want to get back into the kingdom that has no end. I want to get back into the kingdom where there's power and joy and love and, and, and forgiveness and grace. I want to get back to that kingdom and I want to pray for you today and I just want to invite you to invite Jesus to become your king. Father, we come before you today thankful for your love and for your mercy. We are thankful that you just turn stuff upside down. We're thankful of the radical nature of what it means to follow you. We're thankful that you flip the tables over in our life. We're thankful, God, that you enter in when we, when we need you most. And God, we pray today that we would, we would crush the other uh, thrones in our life. And we would turn away from the other gods in our life. And we would stop being our own king. And we would turn our life over to you and allow you to turn us upside down, both as a church, as a community, as individuals, and as a family. Father, we turn our life over to you. And as our king, we give you all the praise. And we give you all the honor. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.